0: Welcome to the Mercy Commons podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. Good evening. Hi, my name's Sean. I'm, uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Mercy Commons. And like Nick said, it's uh, wonderful to have so many of you with us. Uh, Friends Church, thanks for uh, thanks for joining us. Um, you know, not long after the meal that uh, that Jesus shared with his disciples, he was arrested, he was abandoned, he was beaten, he was mocked, and he was crucified. I want to pick back up in Luke's account of that Friday in chapter 23, verse 32. I'm going to read kind of a longer portion of, of the scripture uh, down to verse 56 from the CSB. It should be a should be on the screen as as I read it. Two others, criminals, were also led to be executed with him. When they arrived at the place called the Skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they're doing. And they divided his clothes and cast lots. The people stood watching, and even the leaders were scoffing. He saved others. Let him save himself if he's God's Messiah, the Chosen One. The soldiers also smugly mocked. They mocked him, and they came offering him sour wine. And they said, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. An inscription was above him. This is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals hanging there began to yell insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other answered, rebuking him. Don't you even fear God, since you are undergoing the same punishment. We are punished justly because we're getting back what we deserve for the things we did. But this man has done nothing. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, today you will, with, you will be with me in paradise. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three, because the sun's light failed. The curtain of the sanctuary was split down the middle, and Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. Saying this, he breathed his last. When the centurion saw what happened, he began to glorify God, saying, This man really was righteous. All the crowds that had gathered for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, went home, striking their chests. But all who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. There was a good and a righteous man named Joseph, a member of the Sanhedrin, who had not agreed with their plan and their action. He was from Arimathea, a Judean town, and was looking forward to the kingdom of God. He approached Pilate, and he asked for Jesus' body. Taking it down, he wrapped it in fine linen and placed it in a tomb cut into the rock where no one had ever been placed. It was the preparation day. And the Sabbath was about to begin. The women had come with him from Galilee, followed along, and observed the tomb and how his body was placed. Then they returned and prepared spices and perfumes, and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. For those who have eyes to see and ears to hear, this is the word of the Lord. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Uh, we've all heard that phrase, right? That, that's that's not, a, not a foreign phrase. Uh, and it's got, it's got quite a bit of merit to it, I think. Um, but I want you to notice that it doesn't say reality is in the eye of the beholder. There are some today that believe that reality itself is created by what we perceive. That it's rooted in our senses, our perceptions, our feelings. And that this dress, do we have that, do we have that slide? you guys remember this, right? Like everyone hated each other over this dress a number of years ago, but that this dress uh, is not really blue or black, that it's gold or white. It's gold or white because I perceive it to be that way, but the reality is that, and I had to look it up. I had to remember to look it up. This is actually manufactured to be blue and black. It's actually manufactured to be blue and black, and it is blue and black. The reality, reality is always there outside of us. The question is, do we have eyes to see it? Can we see it? Some of you would see this picture and see blue and black. Some of you would see gold and white. But the reality is that the dress is blue and black. Do we have eyes to see? And do we have a community of people around us to actually help us see what reality is, Um, not just what we perceive it to be? And it's not just for this whole idea of, of, of seeing reality and, and, and needing help. It's not just for silly things like color memes on the internet. I had a couple of, uh, couple of weeks ago, I had the opportunity to pray with someone at my work um, who was really troubled about a family member that uh, was making a decision uh, to possibly terminate a pregnancy when they found out that the, that the, uh, that the baby had Down syndrome. And she was troubled by it and, and, um, and, and brought it up and, and asked me if I'd actually pray, uh, pray with her about it. And it felt kind of, for me, it felt a little bit like a, a kind of a, a coincidental sovereignty. That I, I, I saw, actually, that same exact morning, I saw a viral video, maybe some of you have seen it too, of a grandfather singing to his grandson at, a, I think, probably his birthday party. Um, who, and the grandson had Down syndrome, and the grandfather was singing. It's a uh, it's it's a wonderful world to his to his grandson. Um, it was such a touching. It's such a touching video. Don't look at it now. You can look at it later. But <laughs> it's it's really it's 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 amazing. And I, I I was like this is such an amazing picture of God's heart for humanity, and it 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 gave me a sense of real um, compassion. Uh, for, for praying for this, but also realizing, like, this grandfather was seeing the value of his grandson, uh, the true value of someone created in the image of God, and it enabled me to begin to pray for this situation and ask that they would have eyes to see the value and the beauty of that unborn child. In Luke's account of the crucifixion of Jesus, it is filled with people watching what's happening and not seeing what it is clearly. This moment, this moment is the very hinge of human history. God himself had entered our world. He offered himself up for the payment of our sins. He swallowed death by letting death swallow him. The way was being made open to the Father. Jesus, the rightful king, was conquering through surrender. He was displaying the greatest strength ever shown through utter weakness and humiliation. And most people missed it. Many people still today miss it. The reality was hard to see. But when you see it, you know that it is beautiful. Jesus knew the people around him were missing it, and he uttered a prayer of mercy for their blindness. Abba, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Think about that. At a point of significant pain and humiliation, turning to pray for the ones that are perpetrating this action on him. I don't know about you, but I want to see who Jesus really is, And I want to see what he's doing. So it leads me to a a question. You know, what holds us back from seeing the beauty and the reality of Jesus and what he did on Good Friday? There's no doubt there's a lot of answers to that question. I'm only going to bring up two things, um, two things to draw our attention to. I think one of the things that holds us back from seeing is that our perception, our own perception of what we think is good and you know we think that we know what should happen in most circumstances Jesus's best friends and enemies almost unanimously misunderstood the character of God and what he was actually up to they certainly couldn't see how a crucifixion how a crucifixion could be the key to saving Israel and all of humanity you see you you could not choose a worse death in the first century than a crucifixion. You, you literally just couldn't choose uh, a, a, a worse death. Um, author uh, author uh, David Arthur De Silva, a professor and theologian of New Testament studies, talking about uh, death and humiliation in the first century, said, said this, A noble death, notably in battle or in some other form of, sev- of service to one's country, was viewed as a special honor which nature has preserved for the good. A shameful death, however, which left one no chance to recover honor and a good name, was the most feared of all evils. Death on a cross was considered by Jews and Romans alike to be supremely shameful. It was reserved for the lowest class, the worst offender, The stripping of the one being crucified marked a complete humiliation and effectively served to also strip the person of any honor or place in society or social memory. No one's going to talk about them. What everyone saw that day was the worst kind of failure. The reality... (laughs) And the beauty on the other side of that was that God chose to freely enter the very worst that humanity could throw at him. He went to the utter dregs of physical, emotional, social, and existential pain and isolating death so that he truly could be Emmanuel, God with us. No matter where you are, or how bad you think it is, he has endured. He has taken the worst death and made it the most noble. Filled with purpose and redemptive power, and he offers himself to you and to me as the one who knows how to do that. He can transform your worst into something beautiful. You know, there's something else that I think holds us back from seeing the reality of why we call this Friday good. Our hurts and our own sense of justice or rightness can sometimes get in the way. God is like this master, master playwright. I mean, you read this scene, and it's just amazing. There's so many, so many details, so many layered connections, so much meaning in this. Here is Jesus, the bread of life, The king of kings hung arms outstretched to receive a broken world. And on his left and on his right are meant to be a representation of humanity. Two nameless men condemned as criminals. From these two, one comes to see and the other cannot. It is still this way today. Some see and others do not. The first thief following the mocking of the leaders and the soldiers, began to ridicule Jesus. Luke only tells us one thing that this guy said. I'm sure that he said other things. Luke records this. Then one of the criminals hanging there began to yell insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself. Save us. This man, who must have been a Jew because he used the word Messiah, is not interested in seeing Jesus. He is too filled with his own Hate, bitterness, sense of injustice. He knows what needs to happen and declares to the Son of God next to him, do this now. He was raging at his circumstances and the God who had allowed them. He felt no responsibility for the actions that he had taken or remorse for being where he was. All he had was rage and it blinded him to the grace that was available to him, next to him. What happens to us When life presses us, when we believe we've been mistreated, when we end up receiving consequences for our actions, what comes out of you, what comes out of me when life squeezes? For this man, it was rage and pain and a self-centered focus that blinded him from seeing Jesus. But he wasn't the only man hanging there with Jesus. The other criminal responds differently and helps us see how to see Life had squeezed him too, and Luke records his response. But the other one answered, rebuking him. Don't you even fear God, since you are undergoing the same punishment. We are punished justly, because we're getting back what we deserve for the things we did. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Instead of a sense of self-indignation, this man surrenders. He owned responsibility for the actions that brought him to this point. Now, this is important. Let me me just be clear. I am in no way suggesting that when an unjust or evil thing is perpetrated against you or against me, that somehow we've brought that on or that we're unjustified in being hurt. That's a totally separate issue from from what I'm talking about here. here. What is happening here is a microcosm of humanity. The prophet Isaiah says of all of us, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. In a general sense, we are born into sin, brothers and sisters. We sin. I sin. We all sin. We are the reason that Jesus is here at center stage, both to pay the penalty and for his great love for us to do so. This man acknowledged his guilt, but had come to see who Jesus really was. I no doubt he saw him pray for his enemies. He saw him hold his tongue and not revile, even at his lowest point. He saw, and his response was, Jesus, remember me. I know you're the king, and this is not the end. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Looking on, We can just see three condemned men dying. But on the other side, on the hinge of history, when you see what really is happening, you realize that God has given these two men both a terrible and simultaneously invaluable gift of being with Jesus at his point of death and victory. That's crazy thought to think about the perspective that they had and the access that they had at that moment. Jesus' death has the power to transform the pain and the difficulties of our lives. If we can cry out like this man, Lord, remember me. I surrender to you. You are my hope. Band, you guys can join me back uh, back up here, right? That's where we're going. In closing tonight, I want to draw your attention to one way we can see and continue to see the beauty and the reality of what Jesus Christ has done for us, why Christians for thousands of years have called this Friday good. We must continually embrace Sabbath rest. Now, I am also not talking about the spiritual discipline or the rhythm of observing one day a week of an actual Sabbath day, although that's a really wonderful practice and can certainly help you along this, uh, along this line as well. That's not what I'm talking about. What I am talking about is embracing the continuing and continuing to embrace the finished work of Jesus on our behalf. There is a clue in this passage that we read that I want you to consider tonight and tomorrow when you you wake up. Luke tells us after Jesus died, Joseph of Arimathea and the women who had followed Jesus were quite busy trying to honor him and prepare him for a proper burial Before the Sabbath, Luke says it was the preparation day and the Sabbath was about to begin. The preparation day is when you do all the work you need to do in order to eat together, enjoy one another, and remember God the next day. You have to get everything done, all your ducks in a row. I don't even know where that metaphor comes from. But all your ducks in a row before the Sabbath because on the Sabbath your work must cease you can't work. This is a reality. This is a reality that I see as unbelievably beautiful. Jesus finished his work on the day of preparation. On the eve of the Sabbath, from the cross, he utters, it is finished. The work is done. Let us think he finished his work on the day of preparation. Luke tells us the Sabbath was about to begin. The rest was about to begin. And we ask, what manner of Sabbath is this? Is this just another Saturday? No, it's not. The writer of Hebrews, speaking of the promise God gave to the children of Israel about rest, he put it this way. Therefore, a Sabbath rest remains for God's people. For the person who has entered his rest has rested from his own works, just as God did from his. Let us then make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall into the same pattern of disobedience that the children of Israel did, which was unbelief. All of life, brothers and sisters, all of life will try to throw you off course. The pressures, the doubts, bad things happening, circumstances beyond your control, people failing, will all try to attack your belief in who Jesus is and what he did. We are to make every effort to enter the rest that Jesus secured for us. We do not do our own work. We do not save ourselves. We do not pull ourselves up by the bootstraps. Our hope is not in our effort. Our hope is in his finished work. Jesus said in John 6, one of my favorite verses, he said, The work of God is this. To believe in the one he sent. The work to press in, to strive to enter rest is to lay hold of Jesus. Lay hold of him because he's here to lay hold of you. He gave his life for you. Not just the masses, you. Walks right up to you and he knows your story. He knows you. And he's calling to you. We receive his work on our behalf because Jesus, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all, for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. Today is Good Friday. Resurrection Sunday is coming, but in between, we rest in his finished work. Welcome to Saturday, brothers and sisters. Welcome to Sabbath. Welcome to letting go of trying harder. Welcome to coming to the one who knows you and loves you and can help you and will lead you to resurrection. Welcome to Sabbath. May we be the same kind of people that Jesus was himself when he said, Father, into your hands I entrust my life and my spirit. Amen.